Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you and trust that you're having a great day. The sunshine is out in West Michigan, and that's always a good day in my book. Um, I invite you to turn in your copy of the scripture to Colossians chapter 3. We enter into a new couple of verses for our study this morning. And as you do that, uh, I was looking online this week at history.com, I think it was, and there's a story of a guy by the name of Hiru Onoda. All right, he's a famous for something. He's famous because as a Japanese soldier, he was given a command in 1940, get it right here, in 1944 to never surrender as he goes into the Philippines to become part of the, the Japanese fighting military. Um, over the course of the next couple years, of course, there is a ceasefire call, the war is ended, and yet for the next 30 years, he lived as someone behind enemy lines, or so he thought. It wasn't until 1974, about 30 years later, when his commanding officer came, found him, because he was still engaging in all sorts of guerrilla warfare and stuff, because he lived with the reality in his mind that the war was still going on. His commanding officer, who gave him the order to never surrender, came, found him, and said, surrender. It had been decades and what I love about the story is it reminds me how we can continue going on with a certain way of life, even though the way of life that we had known was dead. I'm not the greatest at, at um, uh, titling sermons, but I titled this morning's sermon something like Living the Dead Life, which sounds kind of like an oxymoron. I guess it is. But here's the reality. What we've been studying in the book of Colossians is that our old way has died and that we have been raised to a new kind of life. And much like Hiro Unida needed to learn to live the new life that he now had, no longer in this combat zone of being a Japanese fighter in the Philippines, he had to learn to live a new life. Many times we as believers need to learn to live the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're talking about today, because Paul is going to have a hinge in chapter 3. <clears throat> Some scholars think that the hinge happens at the end of chapter 2. Others think it happens at the beginning of chapter 3. But there is definitely a hinge here where he goes from talking about all the things we have been talking about. Here's who you were. Actually, before that, he says, here's who Christ is. And then he says, here's who you are in Christ. And now he's going to say, here is how you walk after him. Because it's very clear to Paul, to his audience, that they are called not to live disembodied uh, life. In other words, um, their, their heart, their soul, their spirit are all a part of a unified whole. The Gnostics would teach that matter doesn't matter. <laughs> I really just thought of that right now. Matter doesn't matter. In other words, what you do in your body, the Gnostics would say, is no big deal. All that matters is spirit. 
spirit. That's one of the teachings of Gnosticism, which was a, a significant um, threat to the teaching of the gospel. Paul says here, he says, what you do does matter. In fact, he's going to say, seek the things which are above where the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. Then he's going to give two sets of commands in our passage today about here is how you put off the old. And then um, after Easter, we're going to look on here is how you put on the new in Christ. Next week, we're going to have a a great time studying um, the the Passover in our Sunday morning as well as in our Thursday night um, Passover. Seder. But here's the point. Paul is moving towards a point later in chapter 3 of saying, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do it unto the glory of God. That's the call for the believer to live a unified life, to let what Christ has done become the actual reality of how we walk out our day. With all that said, I invite you to rise in body or in spirit this morning for the reading of the scriptures. (coughs) Colossians chapter 3 says this. So, if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above, where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on what is above, not on what is on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with the Messiah in God. When the Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now, but now you must also put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and you have put on the new self. You are being renewed in the knowledge of the, according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. These are the words of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word to us today, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead and guide us in what is right and what is true, that we may know the truth of your word, that we might walk in its truth by the power of your spirit. God, would you reveal to us the ways in which we're walking um, in a different path today? We thank you for your grace, the grace that returns us to Jesus, our Messiah, our Redeemer, our Savior our Lord, and our life. We pray this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. So Paul is going to essentially break, well, we're going to break up Paul's writing here because he's writing a whole unified letter. We're going to break up Paul's writing into three parts. The first part is seek what is above. The second part is put to death. And then the third part is put off. And then actually there's kind of a fourth part that kind of ties it all together. Look with me, please, in our passage here at this first section of verses, verses one through four. He says, so if you have been raised with the Messiah, if you have been raised with the Messiah, for Paul, he always starts off with position first. 
right? Before he's going to go and he's going to talk about, here's what I want you to not do. And then the next passage is, here is what I want you to do. Before he does that, he says, here is who you are. And this is so important to our spiritual walk because many times we tend to define who we are by what we do. And friends, when we do that, we get things all topsy-turvy because we begin to look and we say, I walk in this. Oh, man, I sinned over there. I must be a sinner. No, Paul has already said these people are saints. Now, they're saints who still sin sometimes, but there is a difference between having your life described or, or marked in, in the noun form of I am a sinner versus I am a saint of God, beloved, chosen, forgiven, redeemed, who sins. The latter is true. The former is not if you are in Christ. Because in God's economy, there's two kinds of people. There's people who are in Christ and there is people who are not in Christ. Or people who are in Adam is one of the ways it's described. And he says, <coughs> excuse me. He says, before we begin to talk about what I want you to do as a result of who you are, you need to know who you are. So if you have been raised, notice there that's also passive. You have been raised. In other words, your salvation is something you received, but it's not something that you could accomplish. There is nothing that you could do to save yourself, only going to the one who offers life to you. That's the only place to find life. So if you have been raised... Have you been raised this morning? If you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above. The word here for seek is, is a second person plural imperative. He's talking to a community. He's saying, I want you, people of God, to seek what is above. Seek what is above, where the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. When you think about where Jesus is right now, seated at the right hand of God, for him to be seated, it means all the things he has had to do to secure your redemption are done. How do we know that? Because he is seated. When a ruler sits down, they're at rest. When a ruler sits down, it's like, yep, everything is good. And the fact that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God is another way that Paul is, is very pointedly saying, Jesus is not just a good person. Jesus is not just a moral teacher. He's not someone who, who just like randomly gave his life. He is actually God incarnate. He's eternally God, and yet he became man. And now he sits at the right hand of God. Um, we'll read it in just a minute. <clears throat> but one of the amazing things is in Ephesians chapter 2, um, it says that we are w seated with him in the heavenly places, <laughs> spiritually speaking. So Paul is saying, I want you to seek what is above, where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. And then he says, I want you to set your minds on what is above. Now this word here for set is another um, second person, plural, imperative. But, but notice, so seek what is above... Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. Um, some Bible translations, uh, I think it's the NLT, the New Living Translation says, let heaven fill your thoughts. When he says this, he is not inviting us to like have a, 
a head way up in the sky that's not concerned with the things of this earth. But he's saying, I want your heart, I want your mind to be focused on what God cares about. It's kind of like when Jesus says in the disciples' prayer, he says, may your kingdom come. He teaches his disciples to pray. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the idea of what it means to seek what is above, to set your minds on what is above. Put your minds, he says, on what is true in the heavenlies. And let what is true in the heavenlies be what then you walk out on the actual earth here in this state of living that we have. So whether you live in Michigan or whether you live in Tennessee, whether you live in um, Asia or whether you live in Africa or whether you live in Europe, where, where, wherever it's at, wherever you live, he says, I want your mindset to be set upon the truth of who I am in the finished work that that you have experienced in Christ so that what is up here, what God cares about becomes the manner in which you walk because your mind is so set upon those things. It doesn't have the opportunity to be set upon the things of this earth. I like what one writer said about this. He said this, Jesus said that the life of the Gentiles is characterized by what they seek. Gentiles here uh, refers to pagan people who do not know God. Not, that's the specific idea of this author, what he's saying. The Gentiles, he says, seek after all these things. He said, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? It's a great passage from Matthew chapter 6 where they're wondering, how are we going to have all the things that we need? A person, he says, seeks what they are anxious about. That's the context of Matthew chapter 6. We seek what we are anxious about. What matters to them, what they know they need, or perhaps just very much what they want. If you were to look at your life right now, and you were to say, what are the things I'm seeking? You could look at it and say, how do I spend my time? Where is my mind while I'm spending that time? How do I spend money? How do I spend um, investing in all sorts of things that you've been given? What's the mindset behind this? Jesus says, I want you to seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Paul says, I want you to seek the things which are above. This writer, John Woodhouse, goes on to say, to seek the things above is to seek Jesus' reign. It is to long for and set your heart on Jesus' reign. It is to cling to him. It is to cling to him. It is to find in him the center and source of all our joys. It is what you do if you have been raised with Christ. Have you been raised with Christ? Then the call is to seek the things which are above. Where the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. And not only that, but to set your minds on what is above. Now, the idea of mind here is so important because one of the greatest areas of temptation that we have, that we're exposed, is our mind. We have a whole history of memories. Some of them are really, really painful Some of them have been marred by um, the sinful actions that we have um, done, or maybe sin that has been done to us. And Paul is saying here, I want you to set your minds on what is above. Because as he writes in Romans chapter 12, the renewal of our the, the renewal and the transformation in the sanctification sense comes from um, setting our minds on Christ. Uh, Romans chapter 12 puts it this way. Let me read it to you. 
It says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love that. Be transformed. In other words, the transformation is also something that happens passively to us, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be so that you may discern what the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God is. So if the transformation is a passive, something done to us, what is our role? Our role is to set our minds on what is true, what is right, what is noble, whatever is just and good and pleasant and excellent and praiseworthy. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, think on these things. I don't know about you, but sometimes the battle to permeate every bit of who you are. Sometimes it's great to sing this truth. Um, <clears throat> some days, if I'm really struggling, music, boom. Music that proclaims God's truth over my life. So incredibly important for me. Sometimes it's, it's being with people who remind you about who you are that helps to set your mind. But it's so important that we set our minds because as the scripture says, as we think, so we do. Many times the, the things that comprise our mind then eventually become visible outward actions and patterns within our life. And Paul is wanting to say, he is saying, don't live the way you used to live. Walk in the newness of life. Seek what is above, where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. So <clears throat> we set our minds on what is above. Um, we reckon who we are. We need to know that we are dead to sin, that we are alive to Christ Jesus. Um, the passage I mentioned a couple, min a couple moments ago uh, is a passage that some of our students on Wednesday night have been memorizing. And it's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And it's a great passage that summarizes in a different way everything Paul is talking about here. He says, And you were dead. Your old way of living was dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. According to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. And here's the hinge in Ephesians. But God... But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. He says, you are saved by grace. Grace is something that we cannot earn. It's something that we have to receive, though. We have to receive. It's kind of like, like this great gift that you might receive on Christmas. I, I can be given a gift by, by my wife or by one of my kids at Christmas, and I can say, no, I do not receive it. Now, it was still free to me. It was still a gift to me, but it's something I must receive. For it is by grace that you have been saved he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. In other words, if you are in Christ, you are reigning with him. That is your position today. Spiritually, that is your position. As you walk in this world, that is your position. That is who you are. You're seated with him. The power of Christ is available to you today in every part of your life. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
Many of you know this verse. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us (coughs) to do. What I want you to hear from this is here's who you were, here's who you are now because you have received God's gift of grace through the death and resurrection of his son. You have identified yourself with him, but don't miss the last verse. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In other words, what God has done in you to make you new spiritually, he now wants you to walk out for his glory and for the furthering of his kingdom here on earth. We are not called to a passive Christian walk. Never called to a passive Christian walk. We're called to a dependent walk, but we're called to walk. And the word here, walk, is a metaphor way of how you live. We're called to live in such a way that we seek the things which are above This is something that can be kind of challenging for us because we've learned so many habits throughout our life. Uh, When I was in in my undergraduate studies, I was a church music major with a trumpet emphasis. So I was a trumpet player for many, many years and loved playing trumpet. And I got to study, um, before I went to um, college, I studied with Dr. Pat Reynolds at the University of Dayton, my my junior, senior year of high school. When I went to Cedarville University, I got to study with a man by the name of uh, Charlie Pennard. And Mr. Pennard was a great friend and great mentor to me. Got to travel a couple different places in the world with him uh, and get to to play a ton of concerts. And I got to spend an hour every single week in his office. And uh, Mr. Pennard was, uh, he still is actually, not only did he teach, but he was the principal chair uh, trumpet for the Dayton Philharmonic Orchestra, first call for um, Cincinnati Symphony, first call for Columbus Symphony. He's ridiculously good. Um, just an incredible player. He played with um, Karen Carpenter and Gladys Knight and the Pips. Uh, he, he played with uh, someone else too, and I can't remember who. Oh, Three Dog Night, you know, that song Joy to the World. Yeah, he played with all them. <clears throat> incredible player. Um, I spent an hour in his office every week unlearning all the bad habits I had developed over years of practicing. Now, also growing in that, but here's the way that lessons go. When you're, when you're with a, a master uh, at, at whatever they're doing, um, especially in music, because that's what I know. Um, there are so many fundamentals. There's like five trumpet fundamentals that he would just kind of drill into our brains every single week. And it always come down to consistent airflow, proper embouchure, proper placement of the tongue, all this kind of stuff. He, he would tear down whatever you are doing to bring it back to its most basic component because it was typically a foundational issue that had to be solved for your playing to actually get better. And it's like this in our Christian life because we've learned a lot of bad habits. I learned a lot of bad habits playing trumpet in my middle school and high school years. And that wasn't any fault of like my conductor or anything like that. That was just, I picked up bad habits that Mr. Pinard then had to lovingly correct. Uh, he, he corrected a lot of bad habits and he was very gracious uh, most of the time. I think I only almost cried once. Um, that was a rough day. <clears throat> but in that journey of becoming more and more like a professional trumpet player. It took time. Positionally, you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation. 
Everything God has is given to you for your spiritual walk. But now the process of walking it out is something that God increases over time. Kind of, kind of like taking a lesson. You have to learn through the word of God, through um, the leading of God's spirit, oh, this is not how I live anymore. This foundational issue, ah, I've, I've got that messed up right here. And the Lord has to renew our minds so that we can then walk in light of the truth of who we are. It really becomes a whole new way to learn to use a different kind of way of living or, or, or to, to retrain a muscle, if you will. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, Paul is going to say, in these next couple of verses, here's who you are. And then he says, therefore, and whenever we see a therefore, we figure out why the therefore is therefore. And we know it's therefore. Here's who you were. Here's now who you are. And now Paul is going to say, therefore, in light of this, here is how you walk. Here's how you walk with the spirit. He says, Put to death, therefore, what belongs to your worldly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Right? It can be really easy to go to this verse without framing the whole beginning of here's who you are. Because many, if not most of us, have struggled with one or more of these things in our walk. And maybe we've walked with God for decades and we still struggle with some of these things. Right? Put to death what belongs to your worldly nature. In other words, this is who you once were. Uh, all these terms are used in the Bible. One of the ways that they're used is to describe how the pagans walked. And the people to whom Paul is talking in a Roman context, they knew what these words meant. Um, for example, I just put them all on, on two slides here for you. The first word is porneia. It's, it's sexual immorality. It's the word from which we get pornography. Uh, it can refer to fornication. Uh, the next word is akathrasia, and it means impurity, uncleanness, moral corruption. Pathos is the third word. Lustful, sexual passion like those who don't know God. Um, epithumian kakon, which is evil desires contrary to the flesh, not in line with the spirit. Um, pleonexia, greediness, covetousness, and idololatria, image worship or idolatry. Or you could just read it. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. All of these things have a have a sexual connotation to them because it was a very present way for Paul's writers to walk out their life. The most kind of um, shocking one or the most um, harsh one is porneia. This refers to any sexual action outside of the biblical confines of sexuality in the scripture, right? So this is kind of the all-encompassing outward focus term. And then it goes down from there. But what I want you to notice <clears throat> are a couple things. First, um, when he starts here, he's starting off with the big heavy hammer that you see in your life. He, here's sexual immorality. And he's going to define that in several different ways throughout the scripture. But again, it's any sexual engagement outside of the biblical confines of marriage between a man and a woman. All right? It's everything else outside of those bounds. There is a good place for sex, and it's in a certain place. <laughs> 
between a man and his wife, between a husband and a wife. But he's saying here, I want you to put this away. I want you to put it to death because it became something that was characterized by the pagans and it became something that many people kept taking into their walk with God. He says, I want you to put it to death. Now, remember who you are. Seek what is above. Put this to death. What I want you to see is he begins with this big word and then he goes all the way down and you say, how do we get from sexual immorality to impurity, to lust, to evil desires, to greed, to idolatry. Because he says um, greed, which is idolatry. And most scholars think that what's actually happening here is he's cascading from the big visible one all the way down to where it actually begins. To where it actually begins. Where pornea begins is taking God off the throne of your life. It happens with heart and mind decisions. Before it's exhibited through action, there is something that has been exchanged back here where we've said, God, you're not sufficient to meet my needs. I'm going to meet my needs through this. Paul is saying to his hearers, put these things to death. Second person, plural imperative again. And the only way that they can put them to death is in the power of God himself. They can't flush their way or they can't self-will their way into putting these things to death. There's a transformation that God's going to have to do, but he knows that they have to be a part of that process. Their decision, seek what is above. God, will I today seek what is above, where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God? Will, will I trust that I am seated in the heavenly places with you and that you've given me everything I need for life and godliness? If that is true, and it is, then by the power of the Spirit, I can put to death these deeds. In Paul's day, there was a lot of idolatry. This is the Pantheon at Rome. Um, some have said that this was um, made to worship a whole bunch of gods. And uh, it's one of the greatest centers for idolatry in the Roman world of Paul. <clears throat> Paul actually says of these things, of this idolatry, he says, because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. Right? God's wrath comes to set these things right. But notice what he says in verse 7. You once walked in these things when you were living in them. You once walked in these things. Why would Paul say that? Maybe he's calling out the wickedness of their world. And he's wanting to just say, yeah, you used to be here. Maybe he's also saying, never forget from where you came. Because it can be really easy to look at the world and say, oh, there's all of these sexual things that are wrong in how the world acts. And it can be really easy for people in Paul's day, perhaps for people in our day too, to say, oh, I never struggled with that. Baloney. It's a Hebrew word. It means it ain't so. It's really not a Hebrew word, but baloney. Um, baloney. I think one of the things he's saying is never forget who you were. You once walked in these things. Which means, if you've experienced the amazing grace of God that has stepped down into the depravity of the human heart, and he has raised you up with him through his grace, oh, never forget from where you came. And as you engage with people outside, 
Never forget from where you came because the same grace that, can, that saved you is the same grace that they need to receive salvation and life in Jesus. Paul's goal here is life. His goal here is I want you to walk with life. And he knows you can't walk with life when idolatry is placed at the forefront of everything you do. And when that idolatry is lived out in lust and it's lived out in evil desire and greed and sexual immorality and impurity. It never leads to life. There's a high heart cost to all sin. Now, God looks at you, if you are in Christ and he looks at you as forgiven and set free, that doesn't change. But there is a high cost in your life to sin. And Paul wants these believers not only to reflect the glory of the God who saved them, but he wants them to experience life. And life is always found in Jesus. And when our hearts and our minds are set on what is above, not what is on the earth, we experience a different kind of life. We experience a different kind of dependence. We experience a different kind of walk every single day. He goes from talking about these sexual issues of their culture. And he says, but now... You must also put away all the following anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Step on any toes yet? <laughs> Much like the last list, there it begins with anger. Orge, it's a state of strong displeasure. The James reference here is fantastic. For, God, for man's anger does not bring about the kind of life that God desires, is what he says in James 1. <clears throat> Thumos, intense displeasure, anger, wrath, rage, indignation. It's another shade of this word of anger. Kakia, a mean-spirited or vicious attitude or disposition. Um, blasphemia. Blasphemia, any kind of speech that is defamatory or abusive. Slander is the other way that this is translated. Um, and then that last one is ice croth. <laughs> sure, it's that last one. Um, I'm seeing derogatory, dirty speech, filthy language from your mouth. In Greek, it's that word. Um, he, again, goes to this high state of anger, strong displeasure that, um, that, that's exhibited. In Hebrew, the word that's used for anger typically refers to the flaring of your nostrils. And if you've ever struggled with anger, you know, man, when you get hot about something, you go, mm, and your nostrils flare. I, I love that, that little insight there. I'm not sure that's what orge is, but um, there's definitely strong displeasure that's experienced and it's seen through how we act. And it goes all the way down to what kind of begins the whole process. See, see, derogatory speech or filthy language from your mouth, it may be fashionable to talk a certain way in certain work circles or in certain friend circles or in certain family circles. But our words are very important. And the way that we speak has the ability to help give people life or to bring people down. This is true in the church. He's talking to the church, by the way. This is true in our marriages. This is true in our work relationships. The way we speak says something about where our mind is set. It, it says something about the way we are living, whether we're living from the old way or, from, or whether we are then living from the old way, which is really dead, right? He's calling us to live according to the things which are dead. 
all these things, the power of these things is dead. The practice of these things is not in many of our lives. But the power of these things is dead because we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places and we have everything we need for life and godliness. So you begin with these obscene derogatory speech, which is just so descriptive of so many areas in our lives and in our culture. And these then just lead progressively all the way to such states of strong displeasure that that is exhibited in a way that really brings harm to those around us, to ways that do not bring life, to ways that don't tell an unbelieving world or show to an unbelieving world that we have been raised with the Messiah. All these things matter to God. The way we walk matters to God. It doesn't change who we are. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. But if you're in Christ, seek what is above where the Messiah is. And he pulls out these things also in part <clears throat> because he's talking to a community. And it may be easier to hide the first set of put all these things to death. But in a community, it's much harder to hide these things because they become, they become physical expressions I don't know if you've ever received a word of displeasure or anger or wrath or slander from someone within the body of Christ. I've been guilty of that. God says, don't seek those things. Seek the things which are above. Paul's concerned that this community in Colossae, a small church of maybe 30 to 40 people, meeting in a couple homes, be really easy to say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so who did so-and-so? Or did this, or they said that? Or maybe expressions of anger. He cares about how they interact because the way they interact with one another is going to be the picture of the gospel to the unbelieving world around them. Think about your life for a moment. How do you engage with the body of Christ? How do you engage with your spouse? It may be today that God is saying to you, oh, I see this in your life. And he doesn't look on you with shame. He says, will you seek me? Will you seek what is above? Will you seek my power? Will you seek my provision? Will you seek all I long to give you? that you might live in a way that brings life to those around you because you're living and you're walking with me. Ephesians chapter four um, puts this kind of a different way, talking about speech <clears throat> and anger. He says, therefore, putting away lying, because at, at the foundation, not speaking truth to one another is a lie. We are called to speak the truth. We're called to speak the truth in love, which means we have difficult conversations, which means that we love in hard times. Therefore, putting away lying and all falsehoods, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. We are members of one another. It's kind of like what he says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Do not lie to one another. We are members of one another. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Going down that path of foul language allows the devil an opportunity to get into our hearts and get into our minds a pattern that is not consistent with who God says we are. 
Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Do you see just the incredible community that Paul is trying to foster within this church? He says, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good, what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Do your words, do my words. This is something for us to pray or prayerfully think about. Holy Spirit, do my words give grace to those who hear? Do people leave my presence and go, oh, I'm so encouraged. Do people leave my presence even in a hard conversation going, that was hard, but I know I was loved. And I know that they care for me so much that they're willing to have the hard conversation. Paul comes to this last, <coughs> this last two verses. Um, and I want to read verse 11 and we'll bump back to verse 10. Verse 11 sometimes is separated from all the other ones. He says, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. The listing of a, of a phrase like this happens a couple different ways. In another book, he's going to say there's no difference, or there, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, and he's going to go down that route. What Paul is opening up is he's saying, you have divisions among you. Here's what I think he's saying. He's saying, you have divisions among you. Yes, they do. They have barbarians. Barbarians were um, uh, pretty, pretty out there people. I mean, they, they, they lived north of, of the Danube River. They were pretty aggressive uh, in all the things that they did. But actually before he says that, he says, in Christ, there's not Greek or Jew. Greek here refers to um, a person who is not a, a um, of, of a Jewish matrix. In other words, you have in this ancient church, you have it mostly being Jewish, and then you have Gentiles coming into this, and you're going, wait a second, how do we have a potluck when you don't eat pork and we do? What does that look like, right? In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, or Greek there's not Greek and Jew. Circumcision and uncircumcision. He's kind of highlighting one of the other differences there. There's people, Jewish people, who have been circumcised according to the teaching of Moses. There are Greeks who are now followers of Jesus, and they're not circumcised. We see that Paul with Titus. He, he circumcises his disciple Timothy, who has a Jewish background. He does not circumcise Titus, who has a Gentile background. So you've got this difference here. You've got barbarians, and you've got Scythians on the upper right is a... Is a, a carving of Scythians. Barbarians would look down on Scythians because Scythians were the next level of um, like mercenary and out there kind of crazy warrior type stuff. Um, and then he also pulls into this slave and free. We're going to look at slavery and masters and slaves in a few weeks after Easter. <clears throat> Um, because that definitely factors into Colossians. But Paul's calling out these different groups, and he says, in Christ there is not these things, but Christ is all and in all. Now the interesting thing is that these people did not cease to be from where they came, right? If you're a male, you're still a male. If you're a female, you're still female. I think it's Galatians that talks about that one. If you're a Jew, you're still a Jew. If you're a Gentile, you're still a Gentile. If you're a barbarian, you're still a barbarian. If you're a Scythian, you're still a Scythian. If you're circumcised, you can't undo that one. So you're still circumcised. If you're uncircumcised, Paul doesn't say you have to. What matters most? 
and here's what Paul is getting at. You have all of these things that are issues within the community. But he says, what matters most with all of your differences, whether they be racial, whether they be gender-based, whether they be um, according to any type of thing, he says, in Christ is what matters most. You, he says, you are all members of one body. In other words, the differences that you bring because God made you this or God made you this, if God made you a, a woman, live a life as a woman according to the glory of God, right? If God makes you a man, then live life according to the glory of God as a man. If God makes you a Gentile, live to the Lord as a Gentile. If he makes you a Jew, live unto the Lord as a Jew. If he makes you a barbarian or Scythian, live to the glory of God. But what matters most in the community is that in Christ, who you are in Christ comes first. In other words, racism takes a second seat to who people are in Christ. You are my brother, you are my sister because you are in Christ. And even more than that, look at verse 10. You have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Anytime you see the word image, you got to think of Genesis. God made them in his image. Male and female, he made them. He made them to bear his likeness in the world. And that is every person, whether they are in Christ or whether they are not in Christ. When God made them, he made them and they were <clears throat> in a perfect relationship with God. After sin, that spiritual relationship with God died. And they learned to live on their own strength because that is all they had. Jesus comes along and he offers us life. The prophets foretell Jesus coming along to offer us life because God wants to remake the humanity to become, as we studied in the end of Revelation, where we live together with him in a place where there is no crying, no pain, no tears, because the old order of things has passed away because God has made everything new. So when you see the word image, we have to think as it relates to every person, whether they're in Christ or not, they bear an image of God. They are of in invaluable worth before God. And because of that, they must be of inestimable worth before us. Like, like we should look at one another as you are a person for who Christ died. And you are a person for who Christ died. And you are a person for who Christ died because the image of God is stamped in you as a human being. So he's saying to the church, don't let all these racial and gender and religious differences um, divide you. Christ comes first, always. And when we seek the things which are above, where the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God, and when we put to death all the things of our earthly nature, and we put off all lying and things from our mouth, we will have, we will have a walk that's characterized by I am for God's work in you. I'm for God's transformation in you because I know how I once used to walk. And I know what God can and will do through you according to his grace. We have, we have to set our minds on what is above. We need to walk through significant issues within our culture that have to do with racism, that have to do with gender. We have to do them biblically, 
under the authority of God's word and God's teaching. And part of that authority is he says, in Christ, who you are in Christ comes first. How you walk in Christ matters most. Therefore, in Christ, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. Christ is all and in all. <clears throat> and a little preview to where we're going in a couple of weeks. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Imagine what it would have been like for a master and a slave to come to worship together. For a master and a slave. And the master looks at his slave and he goes, you're not my slave, you're my brother. And the slave looks at the master and he goes, you're not my master, you're my brother. And I'm going to walk in the way that God has called me to walk, to love you. Imagine a barbarian and a Scythian coming in, going, man, I used to think you were crazy, but you're in Christ. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I now look at you as my brother and my sister. Imagine the Jew and the Gentile coming in with all their differences, looking at each other, going, I know that you don't, and I know that you do, but you know what comes first? We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to start there as we look at one another to walk out what Paul's going to say in the next passage of the things we're going to put on and how we're going to forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven us. But for our time this morning, I ask you a couple questions as we close. Are you seeking the things that are above? Be honest. Does your life reflect a practice of seeking the things which are above? Again, Jesus says, the Gentiles run after all these things in the world. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? But my people don't because they know that they have a good and gracious father who gives them everything they need. Maybe not everything they want, but he gives them everything they need. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus says, and all these things will be given to you. All the things that you need will be given as you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Are you seeking the things which are above? <clears throat> I uh, was listening to a pastor uh, earlier this week and he, he shared this uh, and it kind of reframed my mindset on what victory is in Christ. Dr. Wayne Barber says, victory, he's quoting someone else, by the way. He says, victory is not you overcoming sin. He says, victory is not you overcoming sin. Victory is Jesus overcoming you. When we go back to the beginning of all these things, seek what is above, this issue of idolatry, this issue of our speech, our victory is not, oh, I must overcome. It is, Jesus, will you live your life through me? When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, Christ, who is your life, is revealed. You also will be revealed with him. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, would you reveal to us right now, personally, the reality that we are seated with you in the heavenly places. 
that we have all we need for life and godliness. God, would you remind us of that truth? Father, would you reveal to us patterns of idolatry, patterns of filthy language that lead to anger, that lead to all types of, of sexual immorality. We acknowledge, God, that we, we use people, we use things in order to satisfy needs that only you can fill. Thank you, God, that you remind us of who we once were. We don't want to walk in shame and in guilt. Neither do we want to walk in pride. As you reveal those practices and patterns in our life, Lord, help us to take those things and in those moments to set our minds on what is above, to be reminded of who we are in Christ. Father, would you also enable us to see ourselves and to see one another the way you see us and the way that you see our brothers and our sisters. Lord, may you do a work within our lives right here, this community. Would you do a work in our lives that would break down the all too common boundaries of racism and abuse and sexual immorality and slander. God, by your grace, may we walk in the newness of life. We look to you, Jesus, because you are the source of life today. You have said that in you there is life and life abundantly. Cause us to seek you first today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.